Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are, and let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. I'm still in my hotel room still recording from this amazing place. So I am in Arizona and I had the privilege just now of watching a storm come across over the mountain and down into where we are. And now there's just this like fantastic blizzard going on and it's obviously affecting my lighting here, but it's worth it. So I hope you are can still see me if you're uh, viewing this on Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla on our YouTube channel. Okay, today's podcast is entitled Reclaiming Your Spirituality chances are you didn't even know you had lost it. This podcast is inspired by my blog by the same name that you can now find at numasoul.com. Now, oftentimes when someone tells me that they are considering leaving church or they have just left church, they are feeling confused and they don't know what happens next. And I'll say to them, trust the journey. And That doesn't give them much comfort, but I'm also very cautious about how much direction I'm giving them. It's very intentional because oftentimes when we leave church, we're still indoctrinated in this belief that someone out there has the roadmap for us. Someone out there can point us to our true authenticity and to our spiritual path. That's not the way it works. And I can remember when it was said to me, I was not happy about it either. I had been mentoring with a shaman whose uh, indigenous uh, native roots had made her a gifted teacher, a wonderful wisdom keeper and healer. So I spent time with her and she would, that's exactly what she would say to me is trust the journey, Carla. It's going to be okay. And you're going to navigate this path. And when you get out on the other side of it, you're going to turn back and look at people and say, come this way. This is the way I did it. This is the path that I used. And I was confused. I'd be like, what does that mean? What path? What are you talking about? She would say, just trust, just trust. You will understand you've got work to do. And she would say to me, this bitterness that I was holding would not go, not be with me always. At that time, it felt like a warm, comfy blanket. I didn't know I wanted to lose it. I felt like I had finally had the right to hold on to my anger. I finally had the right to express it because so many years I was denied those emotions because if it did not serve the church, it did not serve the authorities, the leaders of the church, then it wasn't valid, but she was right. Those things left. Now I'll have people come to me now and say, like, if I share a story and I'll just tell what happened and how I navigated through it, somebody will go, my, 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 aren't you bitter? Oh, honey, you don't know what bitter looks like. This is empowerment. This is this is living a spiritually empowered life. If I can tell my story, and sure, if just because there's emotion around it doesn't mean that it still has control over me. I'm beyond that. But I, once you can reclaim your story and tell it in a way that's empowering you and can inspire others, then you know you've moved beyond bitterness. And when we tell stories repetitively and almost staying in that victim mentality, that's when we know we have problems. And hopefully people in your inner circle can, can offer you a mirror and help you see beyond that. But sharing our story is powerful. So don't let anybody say to you, my, 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 why are you so bitter? 
when we know that that's not the case. So I have written quite a bit about the spiritual but not religious journey. What is the spiritual wilderness? What does it mean to trust the journey? But the reason I'm holding on to this today about reclaiming your spirituality and trusting your journey is because of the fact that the definition for this and the timeline for them, this will be different for every person. Just like your spirituality is unique to you, just as your fingerprints are, your journey through your healing, your journey to reclaim your spirituality is going to look a little different than mine. And that is okay, because it might take you a long, longer time to release yourself from some of those indoctrinated beliefs and move towards this vast expansiveness that's available to you when you step into the spiritual wilderness and accept that the curiosity and wonder and letting go of having to have your spirituality be entrenched in this rigid dogma, when you can find that, that is when you start reclaiming your spirituality. Now, people will hear that and say, you're judging me and my choice to be churched. You're judging me and my choice to have my spirituality connected to a spiritual community. And they will make kind of trite comments. They'll say things like, um, thanks, but God has my spirituality. I'm good. I don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're fine over here. I love my spiritual community. Good. Okay. That's okay. It just means that this message isn't for you. It's the same person who still doesn't understand that what they're saying is exactly why people are leaving because they have zero compassion for the struggles of someone who now is faced with a faith crisis but the only tools that people inside their religion have are to continue to use manipulation, fear-based tactics to get them to stay instead of holding the space to say, how can I support you in what's happening now? They're not trained to do that, at least not in a lot of the evangelical circles. So nothing that we say here isn't intended to imply that you can have a spiritual connection inside your spiritual community. But what you are doing is mirroring back to me, your indoctrinated belief about what you believe about God. And you're saying that only yours is valid. If you're mocking mine and saying that I don't have the right to use these words to express it. So if we're looking at trying to expand this table of humanity and, and entrench our humanity inside our spirituality, then we still have work to do across the board. So the reason I use Reclaim Your Spirituality, I'm using it as a wake-up call for you to consider how you may not have had control of your spirituality. I mean, think for so many of us, we kind of just used church as a way to just check off that we did. We did spirituality instead of we are spiritual. And I'm going to raise my hand on this. I know that sometimes I just go through the motions. Okay, I, I went to church today. I'm good. I was seen. I'm good. The pastors are happy I was there. I was. I tithed. I sh shook some hands and gave some hugs and helped, volunteered in childcare. So I'm good. I, I did all those. But how was my soul fed? How was my soul fed? And so we forget that it's more than just being seen and it's more than just what we do. It's who we are. And so how... When we no longer have the roadmap where we felt like our spirituality was being approved by church leaders, we can feel a little wobbly. 
So it's up to us to decide it's an active call to say, I want to reclaim my spirituality and be responsible for it. And what does that look like for me? I came from a tradition where it was common for if you had any kind of life uh, situation, if you had any kind of troubling crisis or anything like that, the number one thing that those closest to me in my spiritual community say, well, have you talked to the pastors about it? After you've prayed, of course, have you talked to the pastors about it? What has pastor so-and-so said about this? Because you were trained to say, all right, now this roadmap that I'm on inside my spiritual community isn't working for this crisis. I don't know where to turn, but you're also indoctrinated to turn inward. And more than likely in that kind of high demand, high contact, high control system, you're going to be indoctrinated to turn to the pastors who are going to then offer you biblical counseling. Now, in and of itself, biblical counseling doesn't have to be high control and high demand, but in my experiences and in so many other people's experience, it is absolutely high control. So I have a problem. I'm facing a problem. You're literally going to the Bible where someone believes in the inerrant word. It's flawless. Everything happened just like it is written. It's God breathed. God just basically told the people what to write. And this is what the way we're supposed to live today and use that narrative to try to help you with problems thousands of years later after it was, it was written. How in the world could those writers have ever imagined a life today? Nor do I think those writers ever thought that that's what they would be doing. I think they thought that they were beginning stories that we were going to continue to tell. They were trying to understand the divine connection and say, here's how we interpret it. And it's different than what the writers of the, what Christians call the Old Testament. It's different even there. It, it kept evolving. So now what's our story? It's different, but no, we take what's happening today, filter it through the biblical interpretation and come out and tell you, well, submit to church authority, submit to your husband, pray about it. You're lacking faith. The reason you're not getting answers is because God is testing you and basically leave feeling more depressed and burdened than before you left. Now, that's a lot of people's experience. Someone's going to write in right now and say, well, that wasn't my experience. I had a good experience. Good for you. Your singular experience inside a pastoral counselor who used biblical counseling was good for you. But those, again, are the people who are denying the data that says that if this trend continues and it's an 80-year trend, so there's no denying that it's going to continue, that we will not only be an unchurched nation that the spiritual but not religious people will be the majority of the people in this country. I'm for it. So reclaiming your spirituality, trust your journey. Those statements belong in the category of a disruptive statement. A disruptive statement is one that is intended to jostle you. It's intended to agitate. It's intended to get your attention, to incite conversation and make you think differently about a problem or an issue. We have been using disruptive language forever since we could speak, but the music industry has it best. Any song that you can, you can get to the chorus and hey, everybody's singing because we understand that the hook of a song brings you into the melody, but also the story that's being told inside the song. Party like it's 1999. Stop in the name of love. Don't do me like that. These phrases become part of our everyday language because they're so powerful and they, they move with us to help us continue to tell our story. Country music is really good with this. Who knows George Jones? He stopped loving her today. 
telling the story about death to the end and how powerful that for that time in that genre, what it, it changed how people viewed love for a whole generation of people. It's your love by Tim McGraw explaining this raw, unconditional love that is pure and beyond carnal. It, it transcends this physical ex experience into a level of spiritual bond. And then we get into the old time gospels, the old rugged cross. All you have to do is say the old rugged cross. And many of us will be spiraling back to those little churches in the hills of mid in the Midwest, in the Bible belt, carrying all the people belting out those words without ever looking at a hymnal because you knew those words. Oh, how about victory in Jesus? My savior forever, victory in Jesus. And you can, you're probably thinking of your own right now because these, again, are disruptive statements. They are meant to catch your attention and, and bind you to pay attention and bind you to the cause, bind you to the issue and say, pay attention in the most powerful, simplistic way that you can. Now, people will often be offended by them, like I said. So the person who, if I say in a video that I want to help you reclaim your spirituality and they come back and say, really, I don't need you. I don't know you. I trust my pastor. Okay. That's fine. There's an offense there. The most common one for me for years, I was vegan and I stopped being, being vegan when the decision was made between me and my doctor. So don't come at me to start eating salmon because I do have dietary issues, lots of allergies and also digestion issues related to Lyme disease. So I have all these things going on. Salmon is something that, that I decided to start eating. But when I would start to say I'm vegan because of whether someone was offering me something or someone was asking about my, my dietary restrictions, you don't know how many times people would come up and say, respond by saying, well, I don't believe in that. I think God put animals on the earth to be consumed. I'm not making a statement about your decision to eat meat. I'm, I'm just telling you my dietary restrictions. And there's, there's such now that I can't eat those things. And that the only thing that I do eat that's alive is, is the salmon. But, or people would say, well, if it weren't for eggs, I could be vegan. As if I have pinged a, a consciousness in him, something about them that has pinged them. And then all of a sudden they're feeling it in their conscience that somehow they have done something wrong. And they feel like they have to explain to me why they aren't vegan or well, I was for a while. And then, you know, they, they, it, we just, it just keeps going on and go. it was interesting how many people would do that to the point where at first I felt like I would have to then hold the space and over explain. And, but then I just started going, no, I just would sit and listen and process what was happening in front of me because it was like a exercise in sociology, <laughs> what was happening there. But that's what it is it, that people viewed it as a disruptive statement. So let's view a couple of other disruptive statements for our time that people certainly get offended by black lives matter. Now that's not saying that other lives don't matter, but people are offended by that and they will often scream back all lives matter or create their own mantras that say all lives matter, blue lives matter, things like that out of a response of a disrupt disruptive statement that was made by people to get you to pay attention that things aren't changing, that the black people are incarcerated at a higher rate than white people for the same crimes 
There are still red line districts where Black people live and banks that will not fund development opportunities or job opportunities within those districts. That the pain of Black women who are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white women is still ignored. This is a disruptive statement to say that this, this systemic racism still exists and it's brought to the forefront so we can discuss it and solve it unless you're offended. And then you are turning your offense into action by using your words to say, well, I think all lives matter, which is excusing you from looking at the root of the problem. The problem isn't that all lives matter. The problem isn't that someone keeps deciding that Black lives matter less and that we still have a system that's that's unsustainable and built on inequity. Now, I'm going to get an email from somebody saying, yeah, but I won't support BLM because of all the problems. Yeah, I know. There have been some financial discretions that are questionable. And I don't know the extent of it, but we have to look at also what good has come out of the of BLM. And I'm going to circle back to these problems because I'm just going to read this off. And I, I included this in the show notes if you want to read this article. But Black Lives Matter normalized the filming of Black pain at the hands of individuals sworn to treat everyone equally. With the onslaught of all the people who can now have personal video at their access, we now know what happened to George Floyd, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, and Corinne Gaines. Black Lives Matter shifted public opinion, and a 2017 Pew study found that 54% of white people viewed officer-involved shootings of Black people as a huge problem. However, that increased over time because they got to see that they saw that white people began to see that policing has racial issues behind it. So in other words, the videos and the work that BLM had done allowed people, especially white people, to see that there was a problem and it was racist inside police forces. Black Lives Matter helped usher in a series of policy and organizational changes to policing that included implicit bias training, body-worn cameras, and bans on no-knock warrants. Black Lives Matter helped stimulate federal oversight for problematic cities such as Ferguson, Louisville, Baltimore, and Minneapolis. My thing is people saying, well, I just will not support them at all. I just will not support them at all because of what this one singular person did who it seems used funds for their personal use. However, the movement is still going and they're still doing good are the same people who are blindly loyal to Christianity, even with all of the problems that you're seeing inside the church with the, with the pastors who have been charged with and found guilty of child abuse, spousal abuse, and pedophilia, and you're still a Christian, well, that's not the same. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. You are either going to apply that same kind of moral standard across your entire value system or sit down. Because right now, from where I stand, there's a lot of hypocrisy when it comes to the past that we give pastors who have been blatantly racist, homophobic, transphobic, and also misogynistic and sexist and abusive physically and verbally to women and children, some of them still in the pulpit, some of them still protected by church leaders, and you don't have a problem going there on Sunday mornings and putting those dollar bills in to support it for the Lord. So if you believe that Black Lives Matter, if that's the only problem, if that's what you're going to say, that the only way that you can be involved is to, you, you can't be involved because you're worried about your funds, yet you're supporting that, 
then you're a hypocrite. Call it what it is. The next statement, defund the police. This is a controversial statement that immediately puts people on the defensive because they assume that all police services should be defunded. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying here is that police department budgets increase every year to, to buy tactical weaponry, yet they do little to increase funding for staffing to understand mental health issues or to hire mental health professionals that are trained in de-escalation tactics or for funding services to deal with an emergency situation that stems from a mental health crisis because a large number of police calls are related to people who are having a medical or mental health crisis or both. Right now, on top of the news is a situation in Texas where a police force was called to evict a patient from a hospital who was in the middle of having a stroke. The lack of dignity and respect and the mocking that they did for this poor woman. And I saw her on the ground and hearing her cry, she reminded me of my aunt who died several years ago, who would have been in the same situation had we not had family members advocating for her. Now, this woman ended up dying in the back of a police squad because no one on that force was trained how to deal with a mental or a medical crisis. That's what defund the police is saying. Now, who gave us the most disruptive statement of all time was Jesus. The religious leaders were always trying to trap him and ask him questions. Say, teacher, tell us what it means. Tell us what the greatest commandment is of all time. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your might. And likewise, love your neighbor as yourself. That he knew what he was doing because he's, he was turning the situation around to say, look, everything that we're doing, whatever law that you want to nitpick and bring down to the, the tiniest little thing so that you can judge and persecute and malign people. If our highest beacon is to love God and then love our neighbor as ourselves, those are the laws that all the other laws hang on. As Jesus said, if we use that as our highest beacon, then it changes our perspective. So, of course, he turned the tables. This is the person who was the speaker of the Beatitudes, the turner of the tables in the temple. He's the one who sat with the least of these, and he was schooling these religious, saying that you are not separate from your neighbor. You are your neighbor, your truest self. Who you are, who you want to be is reflected in the, in the humanity of your fellow humans. And if you're treating them any other way, then that is breaking the greatest commandment. Ouch. How many of us can say that we are really looking at love your neighbor as disruptive? What if we use that as a spiritual practice? What if we took love your neighbor and use that as a spiritual practice to say, okay, how am I showing up in my world? as I love other people, as I do myself, how do I love myself? Do I even love myself or do I have such disdain for me, but that's, that's how I reflect my value to other people. If I don't have value, then you can't have value. Maybe there's a lot of spiritual work that needs to happen here. And you're being invited into that conversation by something that clearly is in the Bible. Disruptive statements. Black Lives Matter, defund the police. Love is love. Mm. How many conditions do you want to hear about that? Love is love. Well, between a man and a woman, it's love is love. No, it's a complete sentence. Love is love. Love your neighbor. 
reclaim your spirituality. Trust the journey. These statements invite you to consider how you may have become asleep to someone else's pain and how you can change it. If it doesn't matter who it offends, the person who's inviting you to consider that statement is, is the one you should zero in on. I am being invited to see a part of myself that I have either blocked off from someone else's pain, or I've been silenced. My, my silence has been complicit. And it is time for me to awaken and to elevate myself to show up as a better version of myself, to elevate the human condition, leave this place a better place than I found it. How do I turn back to my world? A better version of myself is to hear and hold space for another person's pain. And that is what disruptive statements do. I'm not saying your spirituality cannot thrive in church. Good for you if it did. But for many of us, it did not. It harmed us. We were suffering greatly. It was life draining to us, but we often don't even rec recognize what parts of our spirituality needed mending once we leave church until we start to think about what is our spirituality going to look like? Who am I now? If I'm not this churched cr good Christian, what is it going to look like? And maybe if I just ask, I may not know where I'm going, but at least I'm not where I was. And I think I'll just trust the journey. It's an affirmation. Trust the journey. Reclaim your spirituality. It's enough. It doesn't have to have bullet points underneath it. It could be a place marker to remind you that you are beginning the journey through the spiritual wilderness. And this can help you heal from any religious trauma that you may have, any spiritual abuse that you may have, any spiritual gaslighting that you may have experienced. It's going to help you untangle from your indoctrinated beliefs that no longer serve your highest good. It's going to help you release those biases and prejudice that all of us are holding on to, especially we white people who were indoctrinated into a powerful patriarchal structure that protected the Christian male. It's in our family. It's in our religion. It's in our educational systems. And it's going to help us discover and learn contemplative spiritual practices that enrich our spirituality that may look at like something that we've done in the past. And we'll be able to reach back there and integrate those things that still speak to our souls because no one has the right to gatekeep those from you, beautiful soul. And then ultimately you reclaim your spirituality. It's that simple, but it is challenging work. It can leave you feeling vulnerable as we leave these things behind and we step into a spiritual journey that ensures we will be returning to our lives as a better version of ourselves. No, I'm not your guru and I don't know what all of this spiritual journey holds for you, but I know this. Trust the journey in and of itself is disrupt disruptive, but it's expansive. It's undefinable and it's timeless. And that is intentional how I describe that. Each person's spiritual journey is unique sacred and holy. You're deserving of the healing and what awaits you when you live a life that honors all of humanity by loving your neighbor, but also loving yourself. Believe that you will find what you need by trusting the journey. Blessed be.
Thank you for listening, beloved. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on my YouTube channel, Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. Now check out my Patreon to access unique opportunities, including bonus content, live Q&A sessions, and support from a community of spiritual but not religious souls just like yourself. Coming soon, we'll be expanding and adding additional tiers to create a spiritual community like no other. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and on our websites, RevCarla.com and NumaSoul.com. Okay, beautiful souls, I'm honored to be in this space with you. I pray that you receive something I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love. May you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.